0: In that journey, I came across intuitive eating as a health coach and everything again, just clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need personally. And this is what I want to coach other people on. So, I dove into intuitive eating head first. Um, once I felt like I had kind of my bearings with it, I started coaching other women with intuitive eating. Um, and then, what I found was what I was really coaching women on was their body image and their self worth. Because what I have found now is like, Food is like a one layer. It's like the tip of the iceberg. And when we peel back that layer, we get deeper. We see that it's not really actually about the food. It's about how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about our body and how we exist in this society.
1: Hi friends, it's Kayla Moran and welcome back to the Let's Get Candid podcast. I'm really excited to be back on the mic with you guys as always. How is everybody doing? I hope you guys all had a good week so far, even with the craziness going on in this world. I just really hope that we are remembering to check in on our strong friends, check in on our family, on our loved ones, seeing how they're doing we, we always want people to check in on us, but I think it's really important that we check in on our loved ones as well, and it was something I was talking about with my cousin this morning, and I thought I would start off the episode that way, because with all the craziness going on every day in our world, but especially in the last few days, it's really important, and I... I just hope that we all remember to check in on our friends and family and make sure that they're doing okay and be a good support system to them at any time, but especially with the way things are going right now because it's definitely a crazy world we live in and it can be a little tougher at times than others to be in this world. And yeah, with that, I wanted to do a quick suck and sweet of the week. So my suck of the week is that I unfortunately got into a minor car accident over the last few days, and I'm doing okay. I am a little bit sore still, neck and back pain are minor now, and thankfully it's just property damage, just cars, no one was seriously injured, and we are going to be going through insurance and making sure that everything is okay, but... It was definitely a frightening moment. I've been really, really good because this is the first car I own or I lease under my own name and I put money into and, you know, it's my first car that's truly mine and I've been so good, so careful with it, but just one tiny moment when I looked down because something was going on and I couldn't figure out why my brakes or my wheel weren't working and I accidentally hit a truck and thankfully... I spoke to the owner of the truck, and we we exchanged information, and we're all doing okay. But just a reminder to be more present and in the moment and not to rush and to not be doing a million things at once, to so just really just being more present and in the moment. That was a reminder for me for sure, and I got to, you know, take off the weekend for the most part and really just focus on myself and healing and making sure that I'm okay and that my mental health is okay because that was a really scary moment for me and after a week of feeling really heavy and sad not just with the state of the world but my own personal life my mental health has been not great the last few days and that accident kind of you know they say bad things happen in threes and that was the third thing and thankfully today has turned around it's Sunday and today things have turned around, so I'm doing a lot better today, but I actually had someone that I'm talking to on a dating app check in on me and make sure I was feeling better because I told him what happened on Friday and he's been checking in on me the last few days and I thought that was really sweet and, you know, again, don't, don't forget to check on your strong friends because um, we won't ask for help, but sometimes we really need it, so Yeah, and my cousin and I were talking about that this morning as well with family stuff going on and just, you know, remembering to focus on yourself and take baby steps because small wins are still wins. And my sweet of the week is that realizing I do have friends who care about me because some days I can really forget that. And I think this week I really did forget that and I was, you know, asking, you know, why me and why does nobody like me and why is no one ever there and why does no one give a shit about me and I had a couple classmates that I was not really close to before but I'm starting to get close to now um, check in on me and then that guy checking in on me and people on Instagram when I posted I was having a rough day checking in on me and I realized I do have a community and I do have people who care even if at times I feel like I don't. Just realizing I'm not as alone as I think I am. But sometimes because I'm so independent and I'm so resilient, I don't see that. And lately something I've really been saying a lot is I wish I didn't have to be so resilient all the time. But I'm also grateful for it because I wouldn't be, I would be half of who I am today. I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am had I not been so resilient In everything that has happened in my past, and that it has all taught me lessons, valuable lessons, and that I get to share with you and my community and my friends. So I'm really grateful that I'm starting to build that community and I do, I'm starting to realize I do have people there for me, and it feels really good. While we're on the topic of mental health and wellness in general, and just checking in on your friends and family and loved ones. Today's episode couldn't be more timely. It's about body image, eating disorders, disordered eating. So there is a trigger warning, and I totally understand if this is not an episode that you feel comfortable listening to or are unable to listen to at this time. But I wanted to share this episode as in the recent, either last week or this week, is um, National Eating Disorder Awareness and. And this conversation with Molly Kate, she's a body image mentor, was just very impactful on my life because it's not something that I thought I had struggled with. I wasn't aware that I did have struggles with disordered eating and possibly flirted with an eating disorder at some point in my life because I just didn't know. And so I think this episode was really impactful on me. You hear me share that with her and I think it's something... Not a lot of people talk about in a constructive way sometimes because it is such a heavy topic. So I'm really looking forward to getting to share this episode of this conversation with you guys and hopefully inspire and make an impact on you as well because she is such a great resource and I'm so grateful that I got to have this conversation with her. So without further ado, meet Molly Kate. So, you're a body image mentor. What does that mean to you? And how did you kind of get into this space?
0: Yeah, such a good question. So, as a body image mentor and coach, what I do is I help women, I also help professionals. But when it comes to individuals, I help them uh, learn how to love and accept their body as it is right now. Most of the women that I work with have kind of let go of dieting, they've gone through diet after diet after diet, and they've kind of gotten to a place where they're like, I really can't do this anymore. I just want to learn how to be happy and healthy in this body that I've been given. And with professionals, I teach them how to work with their clients around body image. I work with a lot of dietitians and other intuitive eating professionals who are like, When my client brings a body image, I only have so much to say, and I don't know how to go deep with them. So I give them the tools and the resources to like actually do that work um, with their clients. So that's what I do. How I got here, um, gosh, it's like where? What point in the story do I start at? You know, Um, start at the beginning as much (laughs) as you want. So I'll start at what I see as kind of like the beginning of like that actual story. Although we all know everything goes way back further. So. in college, I started to have some like digestive issues and it was suggested to me to go gluten free. And so I went gluten free. I started to feel a little bit better, but not a hundred percent. And then I decided to go dairy free and I felt better, but not a hundred percent. Um, I had been given, so I had a diagnosis of IBS and they gave me medication and it like gave me headaches and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to figure out how to manage this, like through my diet. So that's kind of where my restriction started was around digestion and wanting to feel better. And so like, honestly, that's, that's fair, right? We, we all deserve to feel good. Um, but then it just kind of continued to snowball. I was in grad school and I had, I'm one of those people that I've lifelong perfectionist. I built up a, a life that looked a certain way, right? Like that, it looks like, oh, I ha- I'm going to grad school. I'm going to have a good career. My family was perfect. I had a partner who I was going to get married to, blah, 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 all these things, right? It was all uh, a facade, all these things that I had built up of this quote unquote perfect life. And in grad school, I kind of started to have this like quarter life crisis, if you will. And all those things kind of started to crumble down. And I don't know why, but at the time, and I'm sure many people can relate to this, I latched onto my body. Uh, Our bodies tend to be a scapegoat for like all the problems that are really going on, but we're like, oh, let me just lose some weight or let me just control how I look or X, Y, or Z, right? So I was so convinced and it's laughable now looking back, but like I believed this deeply and fully that like if I could get down to a certain weight, which mind you was like two or three pounds away, really wasn't that much. If I could get down to that weight that I would be so much happier and everything would kind of be better. So I it's just like, so interesting looking back that I believed so deeply that two or three pounds were going to solve all of these big problems that were happening in my life. So that's what I focused on. I went on, um, and many women probably relate to this because this is like what my fitness pal suggests for weight loss. And it's not enough for a toddler, everyone, but I was on a 1200 calorie diet and 1200 calories is the like nutritional energetic need of a toddler and not a grown woman. (laughs) So as you can imagine, I was trying to restrict to 1200 calories and then I would end up binging and overeating because that's just not enough. So I fell into this cycle of binging and restricting and binging and restricting thinking the next day, Oh, I'm going to do better next day. I'm going to really be on it. Oh, let me go burn this many calories. Oh, well I went for a six mile run. So that means I can eat this much more today. And, um, it consumed all my thoughts. Like it was all I thought about all the time. And mind you, I'm in grad school, writing a thesis, going through a breakup. Like there were other more important things to be dealing with, but my brain was inundated about making my body as small as possible and what I could or could not eat and trying to, um, keep myself safe from food and restrict this and not eat this. Um, I, even at one point, was eating my coworkers, um, peanut butter cups out of her desk. And she asked me if I had been eating them. And I lied to her. I legit lied to her because I was like, I can't admit that I've been eating her Reese's. It must've been the, the custodian or the cleaning person, right? Like it obviously it wasn't me. It was, if you're listening to this, Kelly, it was me. <laughs> so anyways, um, I had a friend who I was kind of sharing some of these struggles with. I was like, I just can't lose these two to three pounds. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, uh, mind you, I was in a way smaller body than I am now. Um, and she it took a couple times, she had a history of disordered eating, and it took her a couple times to be like, Molly, this doesn't sound healthy. This does not sound good. Um, and I was like, No, I'm fine. I'm just trying to lose weight. Like, this is not anything bad. But on like the third time, it finally clicked that like, oh, I am headed down a really dark path. Um, and I didn't, I did, definitely didn't have a clinical eating disorder at the time, but I definitely had disordered eating patterns. Um, and we can talk about the difference later if, if we get into that. But I just had this moment where I was like, I have to stop this. I can't keep going on like this. I need to give myself permission to eat. And so that's what I did. I gave myself full permission around food. I ate all the things that I was restricting but I didn't know what intuitive eating was at the time. And so I gave myself permission and I didn't know, it was kind of part of the process to like, you're gonna overeat some of that stuff that you restricted just as a normal response to restriction. Um, And I gained some weight and I freaked out and I didn't like it. And I was like, okay, I gotta stop this. I can't, I can't gain weight. And then I fell into like, it was probably like five years of obsessive clean eating. Cause in my head I was like, oh, I just can't restrict calories. But then I went on to restrict different types of food. And so I got really obsessive into clean eating and healthy eating. And I got a lot of praise for that. People were like, wow, you're so healthy. You have so much self-control. And so, of course, my ego loved, loved all this praise, all this attention. Um, And so that's why it kind of stuck around for as long as it did. And so I actually started health coaching kind of with that mindset. I was like, oh, I'm going to teach people how to be healthy all the time and never crave anything bad and always have the, all the self-control. But it wasn't, it wasn't working. It didn't feel good because I didn't feel like I had the self-control really. Um, and so in that journey, I came across intuitive eating as a health coach and everything again, just clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need personally. And this is what I want to coach other people on. So I dove into intuitive eating head first. Um, once I felt like I had kind of my bearings with it, I started coaching other women with intuitive eating. Um, and then what I found was what I was really coaching women on was their body image and their self-worth because what I have found now is like, food is like a one layer. It's like the tip of the iceberg. And when we peel back that layer, we get deeper. We see that it's not really actually about the food. It's about how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about our body and how we exist in this society. Um, So about, I would say a year and a half ago, I decided to pivot to completely focusing on body image within the niche of intuitive eating still, because it's something that I found all the time. People would give themselves permission around food to become an intuitive eater. Their body would change and they'd be like, I don't know how to handle this. (laughs) So, um, that is really what I focus on now is people who have decided to let go of diets and restriction and trying to control their body and instead reconnect with their body in a way where they really love and respect their body as it is. So that's the, that's like the medium version of my story.
1: <laughs> no, there's so much in there that I want to talk about. And we will talk about disordered eating. Um, Cause that's something that I struggle with a lot, but I think It's really important what you said. First of all, what do, what were you studying in school? Like what was your grad school program that you were in?
0: Yeah. So I have both my undergrad and my master's in athletic training. Um, so athletic trainers are, they're basically like, uh, they're healthcare professionals for active populations. So the person that kind of like runs out onto the field at a football game, when somebody gets hurt, that's an athletic trainer. Um, so that's what I used to do halfway through grad school, part of my quarter life crisis. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I was like, great. Now I have, I'm about to have two degrees in this and I don't want to do this. Um, so that was part of, part of my quarter life crisis, but yeah, both my undergrad and my master's are athletic training and human physiology.
1: Which definitely helps you in what you do. That's why I wanted to ask if they were related, but it's a lot of what you said about, like, for me, I'm in law school and like the eating habits that you start building while you're in school and Women in the corporate world, and I was talking about this with my mom last night when I told her that I was going to talk to you today, um, just that she she st- struggles with skipping meals, and that's my issue. My disordered eating isn't binging, it's skipping meals, mm-hmm. and it's because society puts a lot of pressure on women to prove themselves and work really hard, and we have to do all of these things in a day, and then go home and take care of our families. But like, we have to be butt in chair eight to five, only take a 30-minute lunch. And we're jumping from call to meeting to whatever project and, you know, our windows of actually eating are really minimal. And that, so then you skip hunger, like signals in your body because I can't eat right now. I have to go do this. So then you start getting headaches and then you get like, for me, example, like I will snack when I get home around four and then I won't eat dinner at seven because I'm not hungry So then I'll have toast at like eight when I'm like, I should probably eat something. And I wake up with a raging headache the next day. Mm. And it's like, that's not healthy. But if I skip the snack to wait till dinner time, then I have a really bad headache at dinner and I feel really gross. So it's like, I need to rework. And this is like literally yesterday. I need to rework that, like how to eat for my body and listening to the hunger signals. But it's, it, it really does start with high school and college and grad school and the corporate world and like being on someone else's schedule and time. so mm. I like I like that you brought that up and I really want to talk about that. but it's true what you say too that the reason we have such a toxic relationship with food is because we have a toxic relationship with our bodies because of society and the pressures that society puts on us. I'm curious to see like you see with people that you coach and in your own life you've experienced it why? Why is there that, like those societal pressures, and why do we allow it to be so pervasive in our lives? I want to get better about intuitive eating because I notice that when I am eating healthy, whole foods and I'm actually eating, I feel so much better about myself than when I skip meals or I'm restricting myself or whatever it is that I'm doing. So, something I try to do now is I try to eat pretty. Clean, quote unquote, and like whole foods. And by clean, I mean no processed foods and not sugar and like things like that. But otherwise, I eat anything and throughout the week. So then on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if I go out to eat, I'm able to eat whatever it is I want and I don't feel bad about it because I don't eat like junk food during the week. So if I want McDonald's on the weekend, I can have it and I don't feel guilty. But I mean, I'm you probably that's not a great thing to do either, but it's better than just like. I used to just eat like, not, I've never been a fast food person, but I would eat like chips and snacks. And I basically I would just eat a bunch of snacks and I wouldn't eat actual meals. And so that's been really hard for me because I get home I've, at the end of the day and I'm exhausted and I don't want to meal prep and I don't want to cook and I don't want to have to clean up after myself. So it's easier to go for the quick meals, but I basically don't allow myself to have like prepackaged microwave meals at all anymore. So I have to be forced to cook. Like I don't, let myself have snacks or quick things. And then I'm hungry. I'm like, damn, I wish I can just have like this, but it's, I know that if I had it, I wouldn't eat. So it's a, it's a mind fuck going on up here, but I'm really glad you brought up, you know, that disordered eating and the societal pressure, because I'm curious to see, like you see with people that you coach and in your own life, if you've experienced it. Why, why is there that? Like those societal pressures, and why do we allow it to be so pervasive in our lives?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Such a complex question because what I hear in your story is part part of the issue is not feeding yourself regularly, right? And then you get this headache, and then it's frustrating, and then blah blah blah. But we also have this this rule of like, oh, I can't eat packaged foods during the week. I can't eat convenience foods. So it's like, like you said, it's kind of like a mind fuck because you're like, I. I want to be able to eat more regularly, but I can't eat this. Right. So that is wellness culture seeping in, right. These rules and restrictions around our food. Um, like I said, this is so complex. How our bodies look is actually rooted in racism, which is wild when you get back to the roots of it. Um, it is when there was, when slavery came to the, the U S um, they started to see that people of color, black people, were they—they they believed them to be more gluttonous and um, more sexual, and really part of their gluttony was probably because they weren't getting fed regularly. And so, of course, when they have access to food, they're going to eat more. Like that's a normal human reaction. But also, body types, black women were typically curvier, just a little bit more fuller than the typical Eurocentric body, the like white European body. And so that became deemed as bad. Right. So then because before slavery, even white women, like it was a sign of, you know, royalty and money to like be able to eat and have food. And so if you were had a more robust body, it was a signal of um, wealth. Right. And it was good. Right. But now when slavery came in, now it was like, oh, no, now we don't want to look like them. So that's actually where it comes from, which is just like mind blowing that like hundreds and hundreds of years later, it's still this pervasive and it is actually rooted in racism.
1: No, and I see it every day as a Hispanic woman. I am born and raised in Miami and we're all fairly like curvy. Not all of us, but a, a lot of us are. We're very curvy women. It's the Hispanic Body and we are a lot of times mixed ancestry, and we tend to not be stick thin Eurocentric looking women. And then I came to Tennessee for law school, and I felt very uncomfortable in my body in a way that I had never been before. Like in college and in law, in in high school, growing up, like my body issues were more like I was really, really, I was really unhealthily skinny, and all of a sudden I had curves because I wasn't working out, but like, I like my curves in Miami. I was like, oh, like now I have, I wanted so badly to have boobs. I wanted to have this and now I have them. Like, I'm happy. I finally Mm. look like a woman. It was a good thing when when I finally grew curves. That sounds so weird, but it basically (laughs) what happened. And then I come to Tennessee and like, I'm getting overly sexualized and like people making comments Mm -hmm. and rumors. And I felt very uncomfortable in my body. And to this day, I wear leggings a lot to school because I just don't feel like putting on real clothes. Mm -hmm. I think
0: leggings are real clothes, but I hear you.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Like actually like putting on clothes. Um, But I won't let my butt hang out. Like I will always have something around my waist. Like everyone knows me as like, I have a sweater. It could be a hundred degrees outside and I will have Mm -hmm. a jacket around my waist because it's just, I don't want people to like, obviously they know I have a butt we all do, but like, you know, I just don't want to be make, I don't want to draw attention to myself. Mm And, you know, I also have like a larger chest and like, I try, like when I go out, it's a little bit different, but at school, especially, or like professional events, I try really hard to not showcase my, my assets and like, I'm hiding myself, but I don't feel good in those, in that clothes because I'm hiding myself, but I just, I don't want to feel good in what I'm wearing and then be made to feel like uncomfortable because of it. And so it's it's that that pervasiveness, it's still there depending on where you live. And I'm proud of my body. I love my curves, but I it's still struggle with some days I'm curvier than others. My weight fluctuates. And also, yeah, physically where I'm at in the world, can I show off my curves and feel good about it? Like in Miami, it's not a big deal. Like everyone has it or most people have it and it's like beautiful and cool. But here I feel like it's that like, I don't know. Like when you look at like people look at Hispanic women and they think like Desperate Housewives, Sofia Vergara, like these very voluptuous women and they are stunning because they're like on the big screen. But like everyday women that look like that. It's I don't know. I just I I felt I feel very, very uncomfortable showing my body depending on where I am. And my mom would always tell me, like don't wear sweatpants. Don't wear this. Don't wear that. Like at, at home growing up and that's all I want to wear here. I don't want to show Mm -hmm. off my body. And it's a struggle It's like, I want to feel good in my skin. And I know if I dress up, I'll feel better,
0: but do I want to deal with what that means? If someone makes a comment about, and like, how wild is it that like, it's appropriate for somebody to comment on your body. Also like the misogyny in, in all those stories, like the fact that you have to cover up a part of your body so that somebody doesn't comment, like you feel unsafe just in your body. Right. And that is just it it makes me so, so sad. And I, I have felt the same way. Like I try to avoid people making comments or saying things. So like, I will avoid men on the streets so that I don't have to deal with that. Like it's, it's, and now we're getting into like feminism and not so much, you know, uh, intuitive eating and body image, but this is at, this is all the layers of this, right? This isn't just about our bodies. It's about Do we feel safe in the world, in a body, in any body, right? Like, sure, like there's the the people who are in curvy bodies, they're worried about being sexualized. And the people in larger bodies are worried about being shamed and oppressed and judged at the doctor's office. And then the people that are in thin bodies are worried about people assuming that they're unhealthy because they're in a thin body. Like there is no winning for women. And I think that's what's so frustrating about This whole space and that that we exist in. Um, I just got on a little rant in the soapbox, but it's frustrating because like you said, it doesn't really matter your body size. You have struggles, right? I will say um, both you and I have thin privilege because we don't live in plus size bodies. People in plus size bodies and large bodies and fat bodies, if you've reclaimed that word. Literally go through oppression um, because of their body size. They can't fit into chairs. They have to pay more on airlines. Um, doctors, they go to the doctor for an earache and they tell them to come back when they've lost weight. Like people in large bodies really, truly do go through um, more layers of struggles than people in thin bodies. And also, That doesn't mean that people in thin bodies don't struggle. It just doesn't mean that they don't have those added layers of oppression. So yeah, anybody in any body can struggle. You
1: know, I'm happy there's people like you to help break those down and help people learn the healthy ways to deal with this and cope with this and the the right messaging behind it. Because for so long, it's just been all these bad messages behind it are perpetuated. And like, I'm tired of that. And we all are. So yeah I mean there's so I love that. like I mean yeah we we can go on so many different rants like tangents about this because there's so many layers but I think it's important to recognize that it's not just about like our bodies there's so much more that goes into it than that but I want to talk we can go about that forever but it's more talking about what we're really supposed we're talking about here is intuitive eating and disordered eating and eating disorders and diet culture and all these different fads that always come out. So can you explain a little bit about what intuitive eating is, what an eating disorder is, what is disordered eating and why these are perpetuated? Why, why are these such like, I don't know what the word is, but the they, these words carry so much weight.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll first say that I'm not a mental health professional, so I won't really speak too much on like clinical eating disorders because that's outside of my realm. Um, but intuitive eating is kind of defined as a non-diet approach to health and wellness. And it really is a way to let go of diets and restriction and learn how to reconnect to our bodies in a way where we're able to use and attune to our body's wisdom and also fit it into our lives because there's an aspect of intuitive eating. Like like you said, you know, you're know, you so busy and it's hard to find time to eat. And like, you're now ignoring hunger signals, right? So it's, it's more than just hunger and fullness. It's also gentle nutrition. It's figuring out how to eat in a way that is nourishing your body. So you don't end up with headaches or for me, I get, I lose focus and I get, I have a hard time focusing and thinking if I'm not eating enough, um, so intuitive eating is really a way to reattune to our body's natural hunger and fullness signals and also be able to um, find pleasure and joy in food again. Because I really do believe we were all born intuitive eaters and then diet culture comes along, whether it's Aunt Susie or your mom or whoever, right? that is on diets or they make comments about, oh, this is gonna go straight to my hips or, you know, oh, I can't eat that, I'm on a diet, right? We start taking all that information in as children and start to create this story that like, oh, I see this story that I can't gain weight or that I need to be smaller to be loved or accepted. Um, So when it comes to like disordered eating and eating disorders, I was taught once to kind of see it as, as a spectrum. And so I like to describe it this way on one end, we have like clinically diagnosed eating disorders. So that's bulimia, anorexia, binge eating disorder, um, a ton of different types of eating disorders that are not otherwise specified. Um, those are typically rooted in more than diet culture. They're typically rooted in some sort of trauma or, you know, really deeply rooted depression or anxiety or some other, like, deeper mental health issue. Um, And the the eating disorder is kind of, I I don't want to, again, I'm not a mental health professional, but it's, it's not just about the food when it's an eating disorder. It's, it's way more deeply rooted. So we have that on one end. And then the other end is like completely normal eating. You feel very neutral around food. You eat when you're hungry. You stop when you're full most of the time. You also eat for pleasure and culture and connection sometimes, and it feels very normal. Um, and then anything in between could be considered disordered eating patterns. So you could be really close to normal eating and have the occasional disordered eating patterns, or you could be really close to an eating disorder and have disordered eating patterns. That was kind of where I lived. I never had a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. Um, or you could be anywhere in the middle. So it can be anything from from, um, restricting certain foods. So when I was obsessed with clean eating and I didn't allow myself to eat anything with sugar in it or anything processed, even, even on the weekends, um, like there was, there was no space for that. Um, or it can be as little as like, um, you get sick and you lose some weight and you think that that's a good thing. Right. So like, there's so many different layers and nuances to this, but I kind of like to see it as a spectrum of, um, there's normal eaters, then there's eating disorders and everything in the middle could be considered disordered eating.
1: No, that's, I like that. It's they you, they view it as a spectrum. I'm happy you, you broke it out like that. Cause I would say I'm more normal to middle. Um, cause I love food and I love To travel because I love to experience new cultures and new food and Mm -hmm. try things and experience that. And so if I'm at a restaurant, I'm not restricting myself. Like I'm eating whatever I want, whatever that looks good. I'm not going to feel bad about it. My problem is not so much, even when I'm home, it's my schedule. Like my issue comes with being very, very busy, having a jam packed schedule and not having the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is for a lot of people, where it starts when it's still it's still the more normal to like middle not the clinical side and not like mental health related I think it starts with just like you start restricting not foods but just like I could only eat from 12 to one so I'm gonna eat everything I can right now and then not eat and I want to talk about intermittent fasting and like that as well later but Cause there's so much about that. And I've actually done a lot of, not research, but like listened to a lot of podcasts, which I guess is a form of research now. Um, and just like learned a lot about it. And I struggle with like, whether that's a good thing or bad thing for my body. Cause it depends on who you are in your lifestyle, whether it works for you. But I think that's so important that it like people to know it's a spectrum because I don't restrict foods in like, I don't, at least it, for me, it's not that I don't intend to do it in a bad way. I just, I don't like fast food. I've never have. I don't like how sugary foods make me feel. I don't have a sweet tooth. I'm not one to be really into sweet foods. I prefer salty, which sodium is its own beast, but I, I just don't eat fast food. I try not to at all, not even on the weekends, just because I don't like it. And I know I'm not going to feel good. I am very in tune with my body and what makes me feel good. And I've realized that I- feel better when I eat whole foods and I don't eat processed sugar and I don't eat prepackaged meals because they're not whole foods. If they're frozen or they have a lot of chemicals and a lot of filler ingredients, I tend to notice I don't feel good doing that. So that's where for me, the restriction started in that sense, but it actually really started with my digestive system. I have issues with my digestion, but more than that, I have an autoimmune issue. And my doctor told me the best way to get your immune system up is by eating having a more holistic healthy lifestyle like cut out smoking don't really drink and eat like eat really like nutritious whole foods and then I went really really extreme into the clean eating as well and that wasn't conducive at all and I was really really miserable and this was early last year and then the pandemic happened and honestly I'm so grateful that the pandemic happened because I was forced to move home Where now I'm back to eating what my parents are eating, which is what my grandma cooks, which is Cuban food. And it's like very rice and beans and meat. And I was like, it's healthy food because I'm seeing it being made and it's okay to eat carbs and it's okay to eat this and it's okay to eat that if I want. And if I don't, it's okay not to eat it too. But I, I, I was, it It got me out of that cycle. And I I'm very grateful for that because it could have gone a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm back on my own back at school, I just, I try to, you know, follow those principles of eating carbs and eating grains if I want to. And if I don't want to, I don't, but I just don't keep like, like I'll, instead of like regular pasta, I prefer red lentil pasta. I just want, I think it tastes better to I know it's a little bit better for you because it's not starchy. And a lot of times we don't like for also like all the pesticides and chemicals, I'm trying to be a lot more conscious about what I put in my body as well. But so, and I eat quinoa instead of rice or brown rice and cauliflower rice instead of white rice. But if I want the right rice, I have it and I eat it too. Or if I'm in a restaurant and I want a bowl of pasta, I'm going to have the bowl of pasta, whether it's red lentil or whatever. Cause I like pasta. I love, I love pasta. That's like my, my weakness. Um, but I I'll eat like chicken and rice or chicken with a side of vegetables or whatever it is for dinner. And I, I'm glad that the pandemic forced me to realize like, it's okay to eat like whatever you want. Just also the time you eat as well, which is, I think where intermittent fasting comes in. But I just, I realized like, I don't like sugar. I, I don't feel good when I eat it, but I also don't like sweet stuff. So it was fairly easy to cut out sugar and like processed foods. Cause I, again, I like whole foods, but I don't, I don't do that intentionally to be restrictive. It just, it happens to be. And I think that's where it starts where it's like, you're not doing it intentionally, but then you're like my struggle now I was, I'm trying to be conscious of what I eat, but I'm not, I'm trying really hard to not be judgmental of myself when I do want those things that I know not necessarily great for me but it won't kill me one time if I eat it like moderation and I'm just really struggling now with like moderation and I that's where intuitive eating I need to get better about that but can you talk a little bit about intermittent fasting and what that really means and if why it's good for some people why it's not good for some people and like how to know that maybe
0: Yeah. So I don't honestly know too much about intermittent fasting. I do know that, I mean, it's based around restriction. So to me, it is a diet it's disordered eating. Um, that's not to say that for some people, they don't like it. I will say for anybody who has a history of eating disorders or disordered eating that like impacts their life, anything around restriction. Um, so any type of diet, including intermittent fasting will probably not be healthy for you. Um, but I haven't really done a ton of research on it because it is restricted based and it's just not something that is aligned with, with what I do or what I believe. So I don't know that much about it, honestly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I, uh, I, I tend to do it again. We, you say we were all born intuitive eaters. You eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full. And that's, I tend to, I'm pretty good about that. I, if I'm not super busy, so when my scalp, my day starts, that's the problem. But like I, I wake up around between seven and eight and I'm usually eating between nine and 10, not right when I wake up. Cause I'm not hungry right away, but within the hour, I'm like, okay, I want food and I eat whatever sounds good to me at the time. And so some people say that that's intermittent fasting in a way you like, don't eat right when you wake up, whatever. Um, or you eat like 8 PM and you don't eat for 14 hours until the next day. And tends to be that I end up eating, like not eating for like 10, 12 hours, just because I try to eat dinner before eight 30 and I don't eat again till nine or 10 the next day, but it's natural. I'm not forcing myself to eat in certain windows, which is where it gets restrictive, but it's okay to do it. I think if you, your body doesn't naturally learning your signals. So how does one become an intuitive eater? How do we re how do we unlearn what all this diet culture and then relearn how to be intuitive and listen to our bodies and eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full?
0: Yeah. Such a good question. Also, it, it's really tricky with hunger and fullness signals because if you have dieted or if you have restricted, that could have impacted your hunger and fullness cues. And so you, you might be thinking, and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying like people in general, right? Yeah. Like, um, you might not, think that you're hungry, but it's because you you've impacted those signals over time. And so it's harder to tell. So the way that we get back into intuitive eating, um, there there's a couple of different approaches, but the the best approach is to give yourself permission around the foods that you were restricting previously. And what you'll find happen is at first you'll be like, say it was Oreos or Doritos or whatever, right? You give yourself permission around that food. You'll have a period of time where like all you do, all you think about, all you want to eat is Oreos or Doritos, but eventually you'll habituate. There's a, a, in intuitive eating and in life in general, um, the term habituation means a decreased um, response to a stimulus over time. So at first the stimulus, um, the stimulus is always like, I have permission to eat Oreos. And then your response at the beginning is always, okay, I'm going to eat Oreos. Okay. I'm going to eat Oreos but as you habituate, the stimulus is the same, right? Cause you always have permission to Oreos now, but over time you're like, I don't actually want Oreos. I actually want, you know, a, a sandwich or I actually want uh, a salad or I actually want a big bowl of pasta. So over time, when we remove the rules and restrictions around food, we habituate to them. And that allows us to tune back into like what our body actually wants. But If you think about um, just how humans work, right? If you had like a toddler and you put them in the middle of a ring of toys, right? Big, shiny, beautiful, new, exciting toys for this toddler. And then you put an empty brown paper box, right? And you're like, you can touch any of these toys, but that brown paper box, what is the toddler going to go for? The box. the box, right? So anytime you tell a human that they can't have something, it's within our nature to think about it, to want to go for it, to be curious. So same thing with food. If we tell ourselves that we can't have certain things, those are the things that we're going to feel out of control around and feel like we can't stop thinking about next, Y, and Z. But if we give ourselves permission to eat anything, then it's like, oh, I can tune into what I actually want, right? Not what I think that I can or cannot have. And so that gives us permission to be able to drop back into our bodies and actually get attuned again with that innate wisdom that all of our bodies have.
1: That's so true. You you want what you can't have. So mm-hmm. then you say no. And there's so many like things I could say to that. But um so I want to talk a little bit about social media and the social media pressure. And we were actually just talking about this in class this morning in entertainment law about like the like photoshopping scandals that go Mm. around a lot of times with celebrities and photoshop and facetune and making your body look a certain way and editing this because you like how your body looks in person, but you don't like how it looks in pictures. So you want to make, you know, edit it and all these different like things. But what that really does to people viewing it, the consumers. And so, That has definitely played a role in society and the diet culture because it used to be that like Marilyn Monroe's body size, which we don't know what her size actually was, but she was a mid size to maybe even plus size by today's standards. Woman, she was beautiful, and then it became really like stick thin in the '60s, and then in like '80s through the '90s, it was very very stick stick skinny rock and roll chic, and 2000s even. And then now with the rise of the Kardashians and like the rap models, we're seeing like curvy girls, which is very nice for me because I'm like, I I mean, again, I've always loved my body and it's what I grew up seeing. So I was always gonna love it. But it's nice to know that in the mainstream media, like people celebrate that now, um, to some extent. But now girls are doing surgeries or editing their bodies to look a certain way. And how does that, as someone who works in this field, How do you see that playing out and like with everything that we already struggle with and all the layers before social media, the rise of social media, how do you see that perception? And do you work with younger girls and women that have these issues? Have you seen these issues play a big part in the way that people eat and think about food and their bodies?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest problem with social media, there's many problems, (laughs) But the if I could summarize it in, in the way that I see it impact us the most is that Instagram is a highlight reel. So we're only seeing the like, highlights the joy, the play, the fun, the you know fancy vacation, the X y and Z and we are not seeing the dark sides of people because we're not going to share that on social media. I try to be vulnerable on social media but I am not sharing when I it's a Sunday morning and I just had a three hour breakdown right like I'm not going to put that on social media. So what happens is that we believe that a happy life, Means that we only have happy, joyful, playful experiences. And it dehumanizes us because to be a human, to have the light, we also have to have the dark. But social media only shows the light. But if you only had the light, it wouldn't feel light anymore. It would get monotonous and old. Same thing with habituation, right? Like if we were only happy and joyful and playful, all the time, it would get old really quickly. So to have the light, we have to have the dark. And a lot of the work that I do with my clients is learning how to see our wholeness as a human and see that like, oh yeah, there is this darkness. There is this anxiety or sadness or depression or disappointment or whatever feelings or emotions that feel uncomfortable to us. Those are there, they're real, they're valid. And there can also be joy and play and fun. They they both exist in the same body. And we have to have both to be a human, like it is necessary. So a lot of the work I do with my clients is getting acquainted with that darker side, those sides that make us feel uncomfortable, the sides that we have been trying to change and fix and remove and avoid and escape from our entire lives. Because if you're a millennial, um, you probably grew up hearing, oh, don't be sad. Stop crying. Like, you know, put a smile on your face. Right. What that was doing was invalidating all of the the dark quote unquote sides of us. Right. It was saying that those things are bad and you need to avoid them. And then social media just perpetuated that narrative. So we um, so many people in our general age group and in general, everyone um, is just so caught up in trying to avoid discomfort and avoid being uncomfortable in our bodies and trying to find joy and play and happiness 24 seven. And that is not how we are human. That's not how we move forward. Um, and so that's, that's the biggest problem I see with social media as it relates to the client work that I do is it does not show wholeness. It shows one side of your life and that side is beautiful and fun and and awesome, but it doesn't mean that the sadness and the disappointment and the fear and the anxiety is not also beautiful. It is beautiful because it literally makes you a human. Yeah.
1: I love that. I agree. For someone who wants to get into intuitive eating and being more mindful and listening to your body, eating what your body wants and feeling good with what you're eating, what are some like recommendations you have, like a few tangible tips.
0: Yeah. So honestly, the first step I would always tell everyone it would be not to actually change anything with your food, but instead get really curious about what are the thoughts and belief systems that you have around food, right? So noticing the dialogue first, like when you go to a restaurant, what's in your head? Are you like, oh, I have to get vegetables or, oh, I can't get a burger or, oh, I have to get a salad right? What, what are the belief systems going on in your head? And you'll probably hate me for saying this, everybody listening, because you're going to be like, Oh my God, I can't believe I have all of these thoughts about food all of the time, but we just have to create that awareness first to see what's really going on there. And then from there, honestly, it's it's so individualized because what I would do with clients when I was coaching more intuitive eating is we would kind of figure out what's the most pervasive thing um, or what feels like the next thing that we want to work on. And then we would kind of tackle that. But first and foremost, we have to create awareness around what are our belief systems? What are some of our habits around food? And then I guess a more general one that everybody could do too, is now that you're aware of what you are thinking around food, the things you are doing around food, then get curious around what do I want to think around food? What do I want to think? What do I want to feel? What do I want my habits to be? So that you know what you want it to look like. And then from there is when you would you know, get the intuitive eating book and read that, apply some of those principles, give yourself full permission around food. But before you do any changing of anything, notice the thoughts and then get really clear on what you actually want it to look like and feel like and, and operate in your life. Um, because I know the, the image for me was like, I wanted to be one of those people that went to a restaurant and ordered whatever they wanted. I wanted to be one of those people that like at the family party, was able to be like, oh, wow, look at all this dessert table and like would just choose what they wanted and maybe would leave some if they didn't love it. Or maybe they would be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go back for seconds because I love that. I just had in my head what it would feel like to be normal around food for me. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to feel normal around food. I wanted to stop eating something. If I didn't like it, I wanted to go back for seconds. If I did, I wanted to um, be able to listen to those hunger and fullness cues. I wanted to not be thinking about food 24 seven. So get really clear on what you want it to look like for you. So those would be my suggestions on on where to start, and then, like I said, the intuitive eating book is really helpful. Um, the original one by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, um, and then they also have a workbook. So that's kind of where I would have people start. But always, always, always create awareness, get clear on where you want to go.
1: I'm gonna put those in the show notes for people who want to get them and check them out. And I think those are some really good tips. And yeah, I, uh, I like I said at the beginning, like my issue isn't like restaurants and stuff. It's more so when I'm alone and when I'm on a schedule, because I need to have, I don't like to have schedules, but I like to have a to-do list. And I have like with class and stuff and meetings, like those are blocked off. So then I see my windows of opportunity to do stuff. And if I have a lot to do that day, I like try to cram it in. And then I realize like, oh crap, it's six o'clock and I haven't eaten anything. And now I recognize that I have a headache, but I've had it for hours and I just didn't know about it. So I need to be better about listening to my body when I'm on the go, because when I'm not on the go, I'm actually very, very intuitive. Mm -hmm. So I need to be better about remembering to be intuitive, even when you're on the go. So is there any tips that you have for people who are on the go, whether it be school or work and you work an office job and there's a cafeteria or you have to go out to buy lunch. If you can't bring lunch or you're not a good cook and you can't bring lunch because you can't make anything. Yeah. Um, What are some ways to be intuitive in the workplace or in a school setting where you are, you know, kind of stuck somewhere from like eight to five or 10 to three or whatever?
0: Yep. So within intuitive eating, there's something called planned eating. And that is specifically for, for instance, I only have, you know, 30 minutes, but maybe I'm not hungry yet, but I know the next time I'm going to get to eat is not till 6 PM. So like, I'm going to eat something or like, maybe you're at like a play and you know, that like, The show is going to be four hours long, but you had lunch four hours ago, but you're not hungry yet. Like you're going to want to eat something so that you can stay engaged with the play. Right. So that's called planned eating. So if somebody has a really full busy day um, and I still have a part time job. So like when I am going to my part time job, I will pack my food and I'll pack a variety of food. And I typically will come home with some of it still because I won't eat all of it. And I'll give myself some options of like, oh, I have some nuts or I have a granola bar or I have a sandwich or I have yogurt or I have, you know, whatever it is. Um, And I will... Typically, not eat all of it. Sometimes I will. So having that gives your you permission to tune in with like, okay, I want to eat this and not this right now, or like I am really hungry, I'm gonna eat all of it, um, or okay, I only have 15 minutes. What can I eat that's going to satiate me and satisfy me for longest? Because I know I won't have the opportunity. So there is an element of intuitive eating that is actually planned eating. Um, so if you're on the go a lot, I would definitely find um, it is processed food, but like find packaged foods that are convenient for you that do make you feel good because they are out there. Um, so experimenting with those things, always having them on hand, whether it's in your car or your purse, or like if you're at work or school and there's like a public, you know, student room or something that there's a fridge you can throw things in. Um, those would be my suggestions is planned. Eating is actually part of intuitive eating. I
1: love that. And I, that's something I need to work on. And it's, it's, I like that you said that you you give yourself options. Cause that's my problem with meal prepping. It's not that I don't cook. It's just, I don't know what I'm going to want tomorrow. I like to listen to what I want that day. Like I'm going to go eat lunch now when we get off here and I, I really want pasta. So I'm going to make myself pasta, but this morning I didn't know what I wanted for lunch or dinner. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to like plan it out, but that's smart to have options. So what are good opportunities, like, or what are good places that you get like your foods from like, where do you like to shop? And like, what are some things you always recommend for people to have on hand? And then what is, what's your, like, what's a good day of eating for yourself?
0: Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I mean, my days of eating are very different. I'm able to tune in with when I'm hungry, when I'm not hungry, um, because I mostly work from home. So I do have that flexibility. I'm a Trader Joe's girl through and through. So like, I just, that's where I always shop unless I have to have something that's not there. But what I would suggest for people in general, if you're on the go a lot is to find yourself a quick, easy food that has all of the macros in it and not in a way of like, oh, we're tracking our macros, but does it have carbs? Does it have fat? Does it have protein? And then in addition to that, does it have fiber? If you can find a snack that has all of those things. So for instance, like If you usually just have an apple, okay, that has carbs and fiber, we need to add in some fat and protein. So can you add a slice of cheese with that or a cheese stick? That's going to add some fat and protein. So that would be my like easiest quick tip, um, of like, if you're on the go a lot, how can you find a quick, convenient, easy food that has carbs, fat, protein, and fiber, that's going to satiate you for the longest. Um, and just, it's going to be satisfying in that small amount. If you don't have a ton of time, not saying that you can only eat small amounts. You're allowed to eat however much you want, but when we're on the run, we are like, okay, I need to satisfy my hunger, but I also don't want to be overfull because I have to do X, Y, and Z. So getting in all those macros plus fiber is definitely going to be an easy way to kind of just like check in. Like, is this going to be satisfying and hold me over?
1: I try to be mindful of those as well. And like people get scared with the word fat and I'm just like, eat an avocado.
0: <laughs> like it, and it's just, it's important. It, Yeah, fat is important. It has so many functional roles in our body, whether it's an avocado or, you know, I don't know, from a burger or like, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, fat is actually very functional and necessary in our body. So don't be afraid of it. It is necessary for your health.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great place to end. So, where can everyone find you if they want to schedule a session with you? Where can they find you and how do they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the easiest way to find me is on Instagram at Molly Kate wellness. That's kind of my hub, if you will, there's tons of free resources on there already. Like I always tell people, like, if you just go through my Instagram and like implement the things that I teach on there, like you're going to make progress (laughs) for sure. Um, so Instagram would be the easiest way and then connect with me in the DMS. Um, Uh, In terms of like sessions, I do one-on-one coaching and also group coaching. So usually the DMs is where I connect with people to see if like we really are a good fit um, to work together, if I can really help them with what they're going through. Or sometimes I'll be like, hey, I actually think this person would be a better fit because they're going to be more specific to what you're going through. So I'm always open to those conversations. And I always, it's so important for me that it is a good fit. And if I'm not the right fit, then I'm going to help you find somebody that is.
1: I think that's so important because I think a lot of the struggle with people getting help is in whatever way you need help is finding the right people for it. And people get discouraged when they have one bad experience and then it hurts them. I think that says a lot about your coach and whoever it is and you as a person that you're willing to do that. And I think look for people who are willing to do that and take their ego out of it as well. So Thank you so much. This was incredible. I got so much out of it. I hope if you're listening, you did too. Um, and I definitely need to work on planned eating and just definitely, I like that you said to to end, like when you think of food, what does that make you feel like? What are your thoughts around food? And really like being self-aware and that's self-awareness in so many ways and so many parts of our lives is so, so, so important. So Thank you so much,
0: Molly. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation.
1: Wasn't this conversation just incredible? I know it's a long one again, and I know there was so much that we talked about and we get into history and some talk about racism and feminism and the layers that go into diet culture and intuitive eating and healthy eating and all of this So I'm really glad that we got to share a little bit of insight into these layers and you got to see an intimate look at my session with a body image mentor because truly the session was like therapy for me. Even though it was meant to be recorded as a podcast episode, we really just, we don't hold back and I think that's so special and I'm really glad that I get to share that with you. So if you like this episode, please let me know in the comments. Leave a rating and review. Send it to a friend. Share with your followers on Instagram and tag us. And don't forget to check out the resources that Molly has mentioned. I will put them in the show notes and go give her a follow. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys next week.